Good morning. Thank you for coming to worship today and uh, welcome to Patch Chapel. If we have not met, my name is Kelly Porter. I am the Deputy Command Chaplain for European Command, serving with uh, Chaplain LePac, who you've heard from uh, a few times, and uh, we're glad to be here uh, to worship God with you uh, this morning. I'm going to read from Psalm uh, 29, and I'm going to ask you to, to think through the words in this psalm as the reason for why we come together every, every week. Who is this God that we say we worship? Listen to Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a wild, young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And that's who we worship today. We're going to give glory to his name. Uh, if you would uh, stand and join us as we sing our first song, hymn number 21, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
Sound great. Please have a seat. As we bring our Christmas season uh, to a close, we know that it's, uh, it's really not ended because we celebrate a living Savior who we remember was born uh, during this Christmas time. So even though these decorations are coming down, we know He is alive, He is living in our hearts, and we can do just as this song says to proclaim uh, His great name. You should have received a, a bulletin as you come in. You can reference all of the announcements that are in there, but wanted to bring your attention to a couple of things. Um, first, uh, some very dear friends of ours, our family is visiting from the Netherlands, Dwight and Letty Grismore. If you could raise your hands here. Yep. Uh, Dwight and Letty uh, have been in the Netherlands uh, for for a few years, first serving with Club Beyond, and now they serve as missionaries with Cadence International. Anybody heard of Cadence? Are you familiar with it? All right, a few folks. Cadence is a hospitality ministry. They, they establish homes near military bases around the world and then use that home as a tool for Christ, welcoming people in uh, for, for meals, Bible study, encouragement. Uh, and they've been doing that in the Netherlands area around JFC Bronsom and the uh, GK uh, uh, on the German side. So if you've been up that area, you, um, you might be familiar um, uh, with those bases. Dwight and Letty are leaving this year to go to Dayton, Ohio, where they'll serve the Air Force community at Wright Pat. So that's why I mentioned this, Air Force folks. Uh, you, you might see them uh, in the years ahead and just wanted to mention Cadence. Dwight and Letty are not here to do a presentation or ask for your money or anything. They just came down to visit. But this is a great opportunity. After the service, you might want to get to know them and ask them more what, what Cadence is about. Okay, second thing, a couple of upcoming events. Uh, next Sunday, um, I, we're going to have a planning meeting asking those who want to be more involved in, in prayer. Um, the idea is that we'll have a, a core prayer team who's not doing prayer, your prayer for you, but helping to plan opportunities for this congregation to come together and pray in a variety of ways, whether that's information, uh, you know, we're spreading about what to pray for, whether that's coming together for prayer throughout the week. Uh, but, but anyway, this is initiating something that uh, we had done pretty regularly uh, and trying to reinvigorate it uh, since we started meeting again after, after COVID. So just a bug in your ear, next Sunday after the service, those who are interested in being a part of that, that core prayer team will meet after the service. And uh, I'll remind you again next week. This month, uh, you may hear announcements and information about an event called Sanctity of Life Sunday or Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. In 1984, President Reagan issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, he, he stated this in, the, in that proclamation. The values and freedoms we cherish as Americans rest on our fundamental commitment to the sanctity of human life. The first of the unalienable rights affirmed by our Declaration of Independence is the right to life itself. And I know in European Command, that's a, a major theme that uh, we emphasize and try to carry to the nations we work with, the dignity and value uh, of humans and, and life it, itself. 
And so each year in January, churches around the world will take a time to remember that, to remember God's word, what he says about the, the life that he created, and to pray for our leaders to make uh, wise decisions. So coming up in, in a couple of weeks, on the 22nd, um, more information about that, but just want you to, to know uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be praying along those lines. And uh, one way that we value life is to appreciate our students and the student ministry that's happening in Stuttgart. I've asked Grady to come, give you a a quick update and uh, announce a... He is a youth leader. Hey, just to let you know, we've got, uh, we'll be out at Robinson Club Beyond, if you're familiar with that. We work with middle school and high school students, and we're in partnership with the chapel there. But we'll be out at uh, Robinson today at 3 o'clock. We're going to have a capture the flag, Nerf War, and then a time for some snacks and a devotional afterward. And all middle school and high school students are welcome. Um, we've got middle school club kicking off at the end of the month, and we're working on getting some things going for high school. But if you've got questions about that, I'm around. Let me know. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, Club Beyond at Stuttgart, you can get on there and there'll be announcements there, but just let me know if you've got interest, and if you want to help out, there's lots of ways to plug in and volunteer. So. All right, thanks, Grady. Hey, so if you're watching the news, and it seems to you like the world is, is falling to pieces, uh, be encouraged. Be encouraged by God's word that we read this morning, and all of the ministry that's happening in this world that you may not even know about. You know, God is using people all over the world. And every once in a while, we we get to connect with each other. So I hope you're encouraged by that. Well, let's continue in in worship. Our our choir is going to lead us in song. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. It's found on page 513 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And our New Testament reading is Acts 10, verse 34. Acts 10 can be found on page 779 in your pew Bibles. Acts 10, verses 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jody. Great message. Last week, Eric introduced a series of questions that we're going to look at each week. Uh, one, one question each week, just to solidify our understanding of God and, and His Word and ways that we can explain that uh, to others. Uh, the question this week is What is God? What is God? When I think about that question, I go back to the very first words of of the Bible. Genesis 1-1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? To me, that's that's who God is. He is our creator. As creator, he is our authority. You know, we fall under his command, and we're not in charge of our lives. Because he's creator, we don't control our ultimate destiny. Not only is he our authority, but he, as creator, he is responsible for us. He provides us for us. He protects us. He guides us. He instructs us. And it's a really important question. It's fundamental to how we see ourselves and how we see the world and everything around us. Without a very firm grasp on the answer to this question, reality becomes blurred and we tend to make reality whatever we want it to be. And that's when conflict happens. Uh, the idea of God as creator just, it permeates everything uh, in life. And so I hope you'll uh, think on those words this morning. God is uh, our creator. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh God, we thank you that you are our creator, that you want to be known, that you have revealed yourself to many, many people over many, many years, and that we can walk through life confident that you do provide, you do protect, you do guide, even though you are a God who is far above us, just like the songs that we've sung today, the words that we've heard, you are not on our level, you are not our peer, but yet you came to our level that we might be with you forever. We thank you that you are our creator. Amen. Amen. I want to ask our ushers to come forward now. We'll receive the offering.
Uh, you may be seated, and we're going to have a time of prayer now. And uh, <clears throat> I asked Eric if it's okay if I ask you what you'd like to pray for today. He said, sure. So I don't know if we've done this. I might be fired up today, but... Uh, yeah, we've said a lot of great things about God, but there was one line in one of the songs, uh, or in one of the readings, uh, about testifying what God has done, that Christ is, is our Savior, he's, he's our Redeemer. And that's part of what we pray for, too, and that's part of what we talk about, not just, uh, not just the bad. So uh, let me take a, a minute, and just to open it up. Um, our God, we thank you that you are far bigger than our problems. We can probably go on all day about the great things you've done in our life and we're thinking about those right now uh, just your, your amazing God you provide in so many ways we pray for these in particular this morning all of the college students who have traveled back uh, to school for this semester those who will be starting school soon those who will be starting in the fall college for the first time that can be a scary thing so, Lord, we pray that you would guide them. Uh, may they act in faith. May they act in, in wisdom. We pray that you'll give them the knowledge they need to be successful in life and all that you have called for them to do. We pray for Shane and others who are looking at school once again and, and praying, God, you've, you've led them to a particular point in life and trusting that you will provide the way in to these programs. Uh, we, we know that there's maybe confusion. What, why exactly am I doing this? Uh, for others, it's excitement. You can't wait to start what you've led to them. So, God, I pray above all that we would, we would all be humbled before you and know that you will you'll take care of all of these situations. Well, we thank you for family and friends we've been able to reconnect with uh, during these holidays. May we be re-energized and, and strengthened for this year. We know it will bring joys as well as challenges. We know the strain of being separated long distance uh, from our extended family. We know that relationships can kind of drift away. I pray we'll find ways to stay connected. And that through those connections, we can in, encourage each other to remain faithful to you, to, to walk in a, in a way that's worthy of your gospel. And as Ryan mentioned, uh, there are some who ha have maybe been cut off, maybe others where relationships are strained. I pray this would be a year of reconciliation, that we might be reunited under Christ for the cause of the gospel. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that uh, when we blow it, you forgive and that you restore us. May we be examples of that to all of those around us. God, we pray that you will take this offering uh, that, that people gave and it will be used for your glory. And in all of these things, may you be magnified. Open our hearts to hear your word now. We pray for our brother Eric. We pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Before we begin and, and look at God's Word today, I do want to say <clears throat> that um, I'm very thankful 
for the good feedback that it received um, from several of you, many of you. Um, over the last couple of months, we've, we've asked the question, how can we best collectively use the gifts that God has given us right now at this humble Patch Chapel? How can we honor him best in this worship service? You gave a lot of some good feedback, very thankful for what you mentioned. Um, some of you really mentioned that the lunch hour that we have next door is so helpful. It's good for bringing people together where people can meet new friends. Um, children really enjoy each other and developing new friendships. That's really important. You also value biblical teaching, which I'm so thankful for. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, sincere and caring, thoughtful sermons, that is that is important, and we hope to continue that as well. You also value quality worship music. And it's, um, I heard there's an appreciation for the hymns that we sing. That is so true. But, but adding a newer hymn, a more contemporary hymn, now and then would be appreciated for me. And we tried to do that, too, in our services. <clears throat> but I can tell you, there was one really sweet comment that came from one of the, uh, the young men here. He gave us a comment card, and he said, he said, Eric, he said, I just like everything about this chapel. Don't change a thing. <laughs> so sweet. Huh? Just utter contentment in what we have. That's good. But there's one more recurring thought that we continually heard um, through many of you, and that is how valuable and important fundamental Christian growth is to our children. Many of you expressed how we're thankful that our families are worshiping together in a chapel. You know, that doesn't always happen in chapels. And sometimes it's easier, more comfortable to, to sequester the children. It's a little bit more easier on parents. But in life, I've been learning that learning is more caught than taught. And I think it pleases God, at least for this moment in our chapel, when our families can be together. And if anyone needs family... Wouldn't it be us? Those who often say goodbye to friends and family and children, those are of us who are often on deployments and TDYs, family is good. And I'm thankful that you agree with me that having our family together is a, a hallmark of this chapel. Um, by the way, I do want to say to all the children who are here, your participation means so much to us. It is good to see you use your instruments. Max and Ethan, when you play the cello on the piano, that is so excellent. Kate, when you greet the video editing team that's out there, the, the way you help out with offering, the handwritten notes of encouragement. A couple of weeks ago, I received a handwritten note from, from a young person in this chapel. That meant so much to me. I've also noticed that a lot of us in this chapel are artists. And there seems to be a capable talent of artistry among us. And so I, was off, I want to offer this thought to you. Perhaps this, this next three months, while we have the sermon series on the excellence of Jesus, that maybe one of you could lead a project where we all collectively show our art for the excellence of Jesus. Choose your own media if you want. Painting, drawing, cooking, sewing, sculpting, songwriting, movie making, but tie it to the theme of the excellence of Jesus. How about it? Just need someone to organize it. But maybe we can show it then collectively together right before Easter in a couple months from now. So you have some time to think about it. 
But I know there's a leader among us, so let me know if you're ready and willing. I also forgot to mention this last week, but on the back of our bulletin, if you look on the back, are listed the dates of the sermon series that we have on the excellence of Jesus. And a challenge I mentioned last, I don't think I mentioned last week, but to all of our children here, anyone with a childlike heart can participate. Each week, write down something specific that you heard, something that you learned. And then in a couple weeks, like maybe once a month, we'll get together during the lunch hour and maybe we'll talk about it, what you've learned, and there might be some prizes involved, just saying. So keep that in mind if you're, if you're ambitious. Today, I'm going to offer you four thoughts about the excellence of Jesus. Your job is just to write down the one that is most interesting to you. But I'm going to read four scripture passages. The first, it's the first thing that Matthew wants to teach you about the excellence of Jesus. And it's the first thing that Mark, or John Mark, wants you to understand. It reads you something from the first chapter of Luke and something from the first chapter of John. Four writers. Four different perspectives, all complementing each other, each in their own way, showing us the excellence of Jesus. So let's begin in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Use your own Bible if you have to, or if you need to borrow one, you can find it on page 681 in that blue pew Bible in front of you. But let's read from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. You still with me? Good. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was, has been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerom, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shalatiel. Shalatiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abidud. Abidud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
of who was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is what Matthew wants you to see about the excellence of Jesus. Real names. Real people. It's not a myth. Matthew wanted to write, you wrote it for you plainly, so you need to read it. Contrary to what some people say, and you will hear this this day, Jesus was not an idea. Jesus was not a myth. Jesus was a very real historical person. Matthew was a Jewish man, and he wrote to a Jewish audience. Matthew proves to these readers who are very much aware of their history that Jesus has the legal descent from Abraham and the lawful right to the throne of David. And note this at the very end of the text. Names have meaning. And Jewish people knew this well. In verse 16, we read that Jesus was born who is called the Christ. Jesus, Yeshua, in the Hebrew, Joshua, means the Lord saves. Christ, as you know, Christos in the Greek means Messiah in the Hebrew. Christ is not a last name, how we have accustomed to use last names. Christ is the title. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who saves. Again, children, if you're taking notes, what does Matthew want you to see about the excellence of Jesus? Jesus is the legal, the, the Messiah, the Savior in his history and in his name. And God keeps his promises. This covenant is fulfilled from Abraham to David. But embedded in this long, this long genealogy, this long list of names, are some very beautiful stories. Too many to cover in this setting right now, but I'd like to share you one beautiful story that I hope you don't miss from this text. From verse 5, if you look down and find these names, these obscure names, Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. You might remember Rahab's story from the book of Joshua. We don't know much about Rahab, other than the fact she lived in a very secular and a very pagan city in Jericho. We don't know the circumstances would cause her to operate a home of prostitution. But we do know is that Rahab chose to align herself with the God of Israel. Something caught her eye. She heard about the reputation of these people who were, these, 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 this God of Israel, they were coming near Jericho. And something convicted her to align herself with the God of Israel. We know that her personal faith, her faith was put into action. And this is how we know the name of Rahab. But from her courage, from her conviction, her faith, an unlikely woman of, unlikely woman used in the lineage of Jesus. But here's what's beautiful in the text. Catch this. Together 
with this man named Salmon who married this, this woman. He chose to marry her. What was it about the grace of Solomon that chose to marry this unlikely woman? But it was Boaz, his son, who caught his father's vision for how he loved this unlikely woman. And I hope it's encouragement to all of you men who are here today, and women as well. But men, that your faith lived in action is probably the best teacher that you can give to your kids. This is the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Compassion. Using very unlikely people. And this is what Matthew wanted you to see in the excellence of Jesus. Moving on to our second point. Mark's letter is found immediately after Matthew. Mark's letter was probably the first letter written. It's probably used as the source document from where Matthew and Luke formed their letters. Um, the church leader Irenaeus, if you heard that name, who lived around 190 AD, wrote that Mark was a disciple and interpreter of Peter. And Mark wrote down what Peter preached in his sermons. So Mark's letter is very short, it's succinct, it's to the point. It would have appealed to a Greek and a Roman reader, and probably us Westerners too. It's fast paced, it's vivid. It shows the hero-like descriptions of who Jesus is, both of his human and his divine qualities. And this is what Peter and Mark wanted you to see about the excellence of Jesus, is this heroic, suffering servant. The scripture passage I'd like to read you today from Mark is very short. It's just a couple of sentences. And as part of Jesus' life, you might overlook if you weren't reading this text very slowly. But I'd like to share it with you because it's one of the scripture passages that gripped me when I was a young Christian and made me who I am as a, as a man today. And I'd very much like to share it with you. It comes from the first page of Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. Mark writes, And rising very early in the morning, While it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Say it again. Rising verily in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, went out to a secluded place, a desolate place, and there he prayed. Right after, Peter and his companions went out to look for him, and they said, Everyone's looking for you. Maybe it appeals to my introverted personality, I don't know. But in a world full of noise and competing voices, don't you admire how Jesus listened to and prioritized one voice? The voice of our Heavenly Father. This is Jesus. Got up while it's still dark found a secluded place where no one could find him. There he prayed. Space to listen. A part of the world absolutely quiet. Have you found such a place yourself? If not, go find one. (laughs) 
My grandmother tells me how my Swedish grandfather actually built a little prayer room in his house when he was a, a young man back in living in Sweden. He was a carpenter. He's very intentional about finding a secluded place, and I want that for you as well. I know a lot of us, as I've talked to you, got to know you and your families, are thinking about the future. You have important decisions to make. Every one of you does. So let Jesus' example guide you. Guide us as we're making important life decisions. I also like Peter's word, how they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus walks differently, doesn't he? Mark noticed that. And he wants you to see that as well. Last Sunday, I met a young man. It was the 1st of January. He came up to me right after the service. And he he said, Jap and Brian, did I get the words right here in the bulletin? I I made a little note on the back of the bulletin, January 1st. Did I say the right, right thing here? I was really impressed by this young man's follow-through. He was committed and invested. And from my perspective, this man is being different, just like Jesus. Killian, if you're here today, I don't know if you are. I have my glasses on. <laughs> but if you are here today, I have a little gift for you. Where did I put it? Here it is. This is for you. It's called a Mark 135 chair. It's very movable and flexible. But I admire how you and an early life, a young man, are wanting to cultivate a life of prayer and to listen. And I pray this little gift, you can come get it after the service, was something that will encourage you to be a prayer warrior for the rest of your life and your interest in knowing Jesus, a heroic, suffering servant. Point number three, from letter number three, from the book of Luke. God has created us with an intellect, with the ability to reason, with the ability to be observant. And I think, and I think you would agree with me too, that we honor God when we use our minds. And the book of Luke, for that reason, is a gift to each of us who are thinkers. Luke was a physician by trade. He was a gifted in trade and trained in the skill of being observant as a physician. He was a man who practiced very well attention to detail. And don't you love the fact that God used a physician, a attention to detail of mind, to write a letter of scripture. Because of Luke, we know the details of Jesus' birth. We know the historical setting. We know the political leaders of the time, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, the government, verified in history. We are aware of this political movement of a census at the time. And thanks to Luke, we have the details of Jesus' life, even as a young man that other writers don't have. We have a story from his childhood. Luke also records conversations between the two criminals on the cross with Jesus, a fascinating conversation. And is Luke, this a detailed mind who captured this conversation, this statement from a centurion, a Gentile centurion at the foot of the cross who says, 
Surely this man was innocent. It's Luke who cops for the name of Simon Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus' cross, the councilman Joseph of Arimathea who carried Jesus' body, the prepared spices at the tomb, and that specific linen piece was captured by Luke. Aren't you thankful? Praise, the God, praise God for the attention to detail that Luke has given in his mind. Luke will awful, as you know, wrote the book of Acts, what happened after the resurrection. And both of these letters, as you know, Luke and Acts are respected by secular and Christian scholars for the accuracy of Luke look back to the first century. The point is this, is that when you have friends, and friends you will, who poke holes into the authenticity of who Jesus is, and when you yourself doubt the Lord Jesus and what you've read because your emotions go up and down in this culture, come back to the very first paragraph of the book of Luke and read again what I'm about to read to you right now. Luke's first words, what he wants you to know about the excellence of Jesus. He writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. What does Luke want us to know about the excellence of Jesus? It's reality. It's details. History. It's facts. Luke wants us to be grounded in what we read that has been carefully examined. There's room in God's church for order and research and eyewitness accounts and what you need you can trust. What you read you can trust. Books and writing, research and study, some call it, call it nerdiness. It's not. It's godliness. And to all of you who are thinking and mindful people who are orderly and careful and you think through what you believe, just like Luke, God has blessed you with a very thoughtful mind. Continue to use your mind for God's glory. One last point for today. From the gospel authored by John. John was, as you know, one of Jesus' closest followers. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' miracles, his death and his resurrection. John was absolutely convinced that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. So what does John want us to know about the excellence of Jesus? Listen to the first words of his letter. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Notice the parallel to the first words of Genesis. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. 
What does John simply wants to know about the excellence of Jesus? That Jesus was in the beginning. That Jesus is the word. He is the expression of God. All things were made and created through him. And I think it's very important we hear this after we celebrate Christmas so profoundly here in our country. Since we have grown so accustomed to seeing Jesus in a manger, John's letter appropriately reminds us that Jesus was in the beginning. And I think the implications of that are remarkable. In Colossians chapter 1, he also reminds us, For by Jesus all things are created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. Yes, all things were made in the heavens by Jesus. The stars that you see, so much larger than our sun. The stars, so much larger, sometimes 300, Beetlejuice, 300 times the size of our sun. Galaxies that we have not even seen, and most impressive, I think, are these planets that we haven't even, we've come to appreciate in our telescopes and spacecraft that have flown by. All things were made through him in heavens and in earth. Through Jesus, the word of God, all things were made here on earth, invisible and visible. The colors that we see, how spectacular. The laws of creation, gravity, centripetal force, magnetism. The animals of creation, these colors that we see of the zebra, the the structure, the minute structure of a honeycomb. Jesus' authority over wind and water and waves. We see Jesus' authority over fish which John was even captured in his letter, 153 fish Jesus had authority through, swam to the side of the boat where the net was cast. This is the excellence of Jesus John wants us to see. Yes, from Matthew. Matthew, God has kept his promises. A legal family history, he is Christ and Messiah. From Mark, he is the heroic suffering servant. From Luke, yes, he's the eyewitness, verified, he's he's carefully examined. And from John here today, celebrate it with me that Jesus is at the beginning. The creative word, all things spoken through him. But do not miss one more thought. All things were created through Jesus, which means you. The colors you see on the screen, your eyes, your ability to focus, your steady heartbeat that beats from an organ from the center of your chest, consistently beating for years. Yet you're not hooked up to a power source. The look, look for a second on your hands. You can't see them, but they're almost invisible. But on the tips of your fingers are points of print that prove you are like nobody else in the world. The movement of your hands, the movement of your wrists. What an engineering marvel that stands in front of you. But your hands aren't the only ones that communicate God's love. Jesus' hands communicate it all the same. You know this to be true, that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Jesus' clean hands, 
His righteousness through His sacrifice, the covered sin from the cross, a covering of sin that makes our hands clean, our hearts clean. Four letters from four men, you hear them today. From the beginning, he's letter to the excellence of Jesus. But John sums it up so well. In the end of his letter, he writes, Now Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in these books. But these are written so that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's stand. Let's sing together a hymn together, number 486. Come ye sinners, poor and needy.